you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So the first reading this morning, we've got two readings. The first is from Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 24. So Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would, lose, would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? The second reading is from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you too, Rosalie. Good morning, City on a Hill. How are we doing? Good. Hey, I'm going to pray. I'm going to dive in to the next episode of the vine, the trellis, and the crow. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you are the vine. We are the branches. We thank you that you tell us that your word bears fruit in us, and may that be true. May we sense that and see that in our lives based on your word to us this morning. Bear fruit in our lives. Make our hearts healthy soil. And may we see your work by your spirit in us and through us as you make us more like Jesus. We pray that today would be about him. And so make Jesus big in our hearts and in our lives. And it's in his beautiful name and all God's people said, amen. Well, church, it is good to be with you. We are now into week four. Uh, in our series, The Vine, The Trellis, and The Crow. And if you're just joining us or you just need the reminder, uh, this is a series about developing a rule or rhythms of life that might see us step into the kind of life that Jesus painted for us in the vision that he uh, spoke about in John chapter 15, that he is the vine, we are the branches, that, are, and that in him and in only him can we bear fruit, can we live a life of fullness, of, of flourishing, and of fruit. And so for the last few weeks, we've started to explore some of those practices that we might want to insert into our lives and develop habits out of to live that kind of life. Does anyone remember what we've looked at? We've looked at examination and encouragement. Last week, we looked at engagement and withdrawal. And today, you might have picked it up in the texts, we're looking at denial and delight. Denial and delight. It seems a bit of a paradox that these two would be married together. Denial and delight. Does God want you to be holy or does God want you to be happy? We're going to see today from our text that the answer to that question is yes. (laughs) 
And so let's talk about that first passage that was read out for us. Uh, Take up your cross. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus has just heard from his disciples their confession, particularly through Peter. You are the Christ. And Jesus immediately tells them about what is to come. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What is the the cross that Jesus here is calling us to take up? Not merely a a modern-day fashion accessory, not merely a logo to signify a Christian church on top of a building. Now, the disciples here in this context would have been well aware of what Jesus was talking about. They lived in the Roman world. And in this time in the first century, the, the Romans had perfected this system of torture on the cross. It was brutal, with nails piercing hands and feet. This nakedness on display, exposed before hundreds, maybe thousands of onlookers who were there to watch. It's a sense of shame attached with it, as those onlookers, I'm sure, shouted jeers and mocking. And now Jesus is telling his disciples, Jesus is telling you, take up your cross, that cross, and follow me. Now, this would have been hard for the first century disciples. And yet, all the more, for those who live in a world addicted to pleasure, addicted to to self-fulfillment, seems impossible. And yet we're here with, with Bibles open. This is God's Word to us. God's authoritative Word to us. And it's not only here, we see throughout the Bible that self-denial and taking up our cross is a repeated theme. Elsewhere, Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what is Jesus talking about here for us? Certainly at the bare minimum, he is saying that the Christian life is going to be hard. So if you're here and you feel like the Christian life is difficult, you should feel seen this morning. Jesus sets that expectation for us. There's a sense in which the Christian life is going to feel like a death. We're called to love God and be committed to Him so fully that our love for other things, our love for other people, looks like hatred in comparison to our love for Him. So what is Jesus talking about? We get more insight from elsewhere in the Bible one of Jesus' closest disciples, the disciple who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, in the book of 1 John, says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. And so taking up our cross looks like putting other people before our own self-interest, dying to ourselves. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so taking up our cross means not just, not just loving others, but also denying ourselves, our, our natural desires, our flesh. Saying no to what might feel naturally something we need, let alone something that we want. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I quoted in the first week of this series, he famously once wrote, when Christ calls a man or woman, he bids him, come and die. Come and die. Maybe that's the call that you felt, that moment when the Spirit was impressing upon your heart to turn and give your life to Jesus. Maybe this is completely foreign and new to you. The reason the call to discipleship is a call to death is that it's a turning away from what feels so natural, a turning away from ourselves, away from our flesh, and toward opening ourselves up to God's will for our lives, opening ourselves up toward others. This is what Jesus is talking about, that that will feel like death. I've shared before one of the ways uh, I know that I am self-centered uh, is because of Google Earth. Some of you might remember the, the, the time Google Earth kind of burst onto the scene as a new technology. You know, I was, I was a simple kid from the 90s. I was reared on Microsoft Encarta 96. Uh, you know, I played Duke Nukem and Commander Keen in 2D. And here came Google Earth. Google a super impressive technology. You could travel the world without leaving your seat. All the wonders of creation right there on the computer screen. You could go visit the, the French Alps, the Himalayas, see from above the, the pyramids of Giza, Niagara Falls. When you first log on to Google Earth, when I first logged on to Google Earth, you know, the first place I went, because I really wanted to see it, because my heart was, was drawn to it, I went to my house. <laughs> I wanted to see my roof. And I got excited seeing, hey, that's my mum's car out in the driveway. And get jealous, hey, there's, there's, there's a, lo- a row of pools on my, on my house, on my street that I didn't know about. Other people have a pool. And I do that, don't I? And we do that, because my heart is, is, is curved in on itself. The reformer Martin Luther famously once said, our nature, by the corruption of the first sin, that's all the way back in the beginning, so deeply curved in on itself that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and enjoys them, or rather even uses God himself in order to attain these gifts, it also fails to realize that it so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. What he's saying is that by nature, our hearts take everything, even God, everything in the world, and use them for our own sake. I bend it toward ourselves. My time is mine, my relationships are mine, my money is mine, my life is my own. And yet we know that we're called to be in this world, but isn't that such a dangerous proposition to be in the world? with hearts like mine and hearts like ours because, because essentially the world is a, a buffet of idols that I take absolutely everything within and use it and bend it and curve it toward myself. Whatever I can 
take to, to fill and get my, my full of pride, or status, pleasure, sin. And so it's the people with hearts like mine. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And that's painful. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't follow that heart. Don't follow your nature. Put that to death and instead follow me. Follow the one who created your heart. And notice in our passage what what Jesus says to incentivize the self-denial. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And so Jesus is saying, if you really want to find life, you need to follow him. If you really want true life, where your soul is going to be full and satisfied, the things that I tell myself, or the purpose that my heart turns things in on itself is to find that. And yet Jesus comes here with a different vision, that if you really want that, take up your cross and follow me. Following Jesus is better than living in with a curved-in heart. And notice that the point there of self-denial is actually our delight. The point of dying to ourselves is that we might fully live, only live in Jesus. In the Psalms, we read about God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, yes, Jesus has hard things to say to us, yet God isn't a cosmic killjoy, not just arbitrarily making demands upon us just so that we know who's in charge. No, God himself is full of joy. And even if we if were to come close to God, if we were to get inch closer to God, we'd be inching closer to pleasures forevermore. See, God calls sin, sin, not just because, because I said it. No, what makes sin, sin is, is, is God looks around and, and points out everything that's going to hurt us, everything that's going to harm us, everything that's going to get in the way of you and I experiencing life and life to the full. That God calls sin. And so the call of Jesus here isn't to tell us to die to joy, not to call, tell us to, to, to put away enjoying any, anything for your life and take up, take up your cross. Jesus doesn't want us grumpy, brooding, and bored. We aren't Christian Buddhists. See, sometimes we, we think that because of calls like this, it's our desire that's the problem. We need to clamp down, put a lid upon our desire, our desire for happiness, our desire for true life. If we desire things too much, that's idolatry, that's sin. In fact, what Jesus is saying here, the opposite is true. We desire too little. We don't desire enough. He's got more for us, a better vision for our lives. C.S. Lewis captured this very well when he wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, 
but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So God wants us to fan into flame our love, our desire, our passion for him. And so he tells us, take up your cross and follow me. Die to everything that is within you that is going to get in the way of this kind of life. Life with Jesus. And so we're here to think about practices. What does this mean? What is taking up our cross? What does denial look like in the life of the Christian? How can we fan into flame our love for God and for people through self-denial? Well, here's a few practices you might want to think about. And you might want to this week, think about you know, where, where is this in my life and how can I enjoy this discipline of denial in my life? The first is confession and repentance. Sometimes, like I mentioned, confession and repentance can be one of those things that we think, oh, that, that will keep me negative. Oh, that will, that will keep me grumpy. That will keep me kind of critical about myself, look, looking around. No, no, we, we go hunting for that which is going to rob us of our joy. Repentance is a dying to yourself, a, a, a looking at what's going on in your heart, a bringing it out into the light and then a turning around and going the other way. And as Christians, we are called to live a, a lifestyle of repentance. It's not just a, a one and done thing, but it's a gift, the Bible says, the gift of repentance that we might constantly turn back to it to purge ourselves, to, to, to rid ourselves, to see ourselves step into the life Jesus wants and out of the life that's getting in the way of that. And so when's the last time you, you had a moment to, to actually repent of something specific in your life? Moments with God are, are moments where we have that opportunity, confession and repentance. Another is that we might put to death sin, within us. Romans 8 says, if you live by the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will live. And so the reality is, and a historical quote is, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Elsewhere, Jesus tells us, if your eye causes you to sin, you should gouge it out. If your hand is causing you to sin, you should chop it off. And often we, we read that and we think, oh, oh Jesus, you know, he's, he's funny. He, he could be a comedian. But he's not joking. What he's telling us is that we should be intensely committed to the kind of life that Jesus has for us. Intensely committed to joy. Better to be in eternity with Jesus with one hand than stuck here in the mud pies in the slum with two. And so there are some things in our lives that, that, that we need to be intensely committed to cutting out of our lives. Jesus wants you to be fiercely committed to pursuing him. So we need to deny things within us, starve them without, from inside of us. Maybe it means not going there. Maybe it means not watching that. Maybe it means not hanging around with those people. You put the temptation to death by never putting yourself in a place 
where you entertain it. Put sin to death. Another practice is fasting. We're so prone, aren't we, to give up what we want most for what we want now. And yet fasting is a discipline that trains us to give up what we want now so that we might have what we want most. Fasting is going out with going out food for a time, maybe a, a morning, maybe a whole day, maybe a few days at a time. And that physiological response, hunger, that, that might drive us to prayer to God, that we might yearn for Him just as we yearn now for food, we might yearn for God. And so fasting is really felt prayer. I know when I am hungry, I get hangry. It's amazing how thin my self-control is when I'm hangry. And yet fasting is, is a discipline that reminds us that no, the, the response to hunger shouldn't be, again, a curved-in heart. I've got to get food, I'm, I'm hungry. No, a curved-out heart. God, help me want you as much as I want food right now. So maybe you should think about that. You could fast this week. Fourthly, giving. God gives us provision in our lives so that we might be a blessing to the world. Not just to provide for us, and particularly in our time and place in the world, not just to provide for us, but to also be a conduit through which he provides for others. And so maybe the discipline we need is, is not to take our money and see it as our own, but to send it on, to give it away to deny ourselves that we might be a gift to others. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But if we give it, our heart might start turning outside of itself. And so these are practices that, of self-denial in small and practical ways. We, we can take up our cross even now for the sake of finding life in Jesus. And so think about it. What, what do you need to add into your rhythm of life with God. This leads us to our, our second uh, Bible reading. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'll read it out again for us. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and to the teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of lies whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's to be received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And so let's talk about the flip side of that. Let's talk about receiving things with thanksgiving. Think about the beginning of the Bible with me, in the, the Garden of Eden there. God creates all things, and he creates humanity. Everything's very good, and God says to them, hey, you've got all this. You've got, you've got a whole garden. You have a whole forest full of tasty treats that are going to nourish you, that you can enjoy. Go nuts! Hey, by the way, there's just this one tree, just, just one of the trees within this vast, plentiful forest that I, I'd love you to stay away from because you're going to die. Stay away from that. And then notice that the, the tactic of the evil one in that moment 
It was to blow up that one tree. As if God was keeping that one thing that would give them true life from them. And so they were deceived. They were completely, this, this alternate reality, distorted reality came into the minds of Adam and Eve. I was like, yeah, maybe it's this one tree. Maybe this one tree is the one thing that, in which I can find true life. That one tree was used as evidence to try to point out, hey, hey God's trying to rob you of real, true life. And Paul writes here in, in 1 Timothy 4 that something similar is going on not just when people kind of, hey, do this that God said don't do, but also when people say, don't do the things that God wants you to have. When people add laws to God's word and the good news of Jesus. So we know from the garden that to tell people to do exactly what God forbids is demonic. It literally was him. He was the snake. Sorry to ruin the story. But also, to tell people that they can't do explicitly what God has given to be received with thanksgiving is the teachings of demons, we're told here. So we're called to deny ourselves to pursue a greater pleasure. But we're also called to turn into thankfulness and gratitude even the pleasures of the world. Later in in 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy how how to kind of pastor these rich people within his church there in Ephesus. And he tells them, hey, don't let them set their hopes on riches, but on God, who richly provides everything to enjoy. Elsewhere we see, if you've ever read through the Psalms, you'll know that that over and over again, we're called to bless the Lord, to rejoice in and through God's creation. Jesus himself, when he arrived on the scene, what was his his first miracle? Was helping people rejoice by taking water and not turning it into mere grape juice. Sorry to the Baptists. It's not grape juice. Not even turning it into kind of sparkling water with a hint of lemon. Turning it into wine. And the best wine. How long did the party continue? Because Jesus turned the water into wine. Charles Simeon, an 18th century pastor, he once said, there are but two lessons for the Christian to learn. The one is to enjoy God in everything, and the other is to enjoy everything in God. And so not only are you and I called to self-denial, we're also called to God-centered celebration, to delight, to instead of that, that Christian Buddhism kind of approach of putting a lid upon our desire, putting a lid upon our joy, take the lid off and remind yourself that God himself is eternally happy and he wants to draw you closer to him in his presence where there's fullness of joy and there are pleasures forevermore. Sometimes our, our strategy for this is to, to denounce the world, to make the world look worse than what it is so that God looks better. As if by contrast, the world will see us and think, oh, God must be better. They hate the world. No, a better way to respond is to actually enjoy God's good gifts to us. Enjoy God's creation. The warmth of the sun on a cool winter day. A glass of red wine by a crackling fire. 
the celebration at the end of a penalty shootout. Come on. <laughs> In a World Cup quarterfinal, the beach, sunsets, sometimes the rain. Other good, the people you hung out with last week, the brunch that you had yesterday, bacon, weekends, <laughs> meaningful work. The, the coolness of the other side of the pillow. You know, we could go on, couldn't we? There are all these delights. And rather than putting a lid on it, we should lap up our enjoyment of these things so that God might look even better. Because there is nothing in this world that compares to him. There is nothing in this world that is as good as him. Jesus is better. And yet, how good are some of these things? Again, C.S. Lewis said that every pleasure we have in this world can be to us a tiny theophany, a vision, an experience of God, that everything is a, a burning bush to those who have eyes to see. And so that leads us to think as well, how can we enjoy God in everything and enjoy everything in God? You've probably been to a kid's birthday party sometime in your life. Maybe you were the kid. Or you've been there as an adult. You know, what, is, what does the birthday boy or the birthday girl do at one of these parties? I know for my kids, they love the fact that their friends are coming to the party. They love even more the fact that their friend is usually walking into the party carrying a present. And so they make a beeline for the gift. They make a beeline for the present. Don't even say hi. Don't even say thanks. Take the present and take it back to where all the presents are being accumulated on the table. And just like them, we, we don't naturally receive with thanksgiving, like our passage says, we don't naturally receive everything that comes into our life like that because just like kids, our attention is on the gift and not on the giver. And so we need to make it a discipline in our lives of saying thanks to God for what he is giving to us. Now you might do this very regularly around the dinner table when you say grace before your main meal for the day. Here's an idea. Why not say grace before everything? Why not not only thank God for the food? Why not also, when you have a day off, say grace? When you're going to about to go on a, on a road trip, say grace. When you're about to go hang out with friends, say grace. Before you drink that Nutella milkshake, say grace. When you're on the first tee and you're about to tee off, say grace. Whatever it is that you enjoy, as you enjoy it, Say grace. Say thanks. These are gifts that, that come from God. We should lean into that and enjoy them in Him. If that's your habit, it then becomes spiritually safe to kind of dive in to the delight, doesn't it? Because you're enjoying everything in God. A few years ago, uh, on Netflix, All the Rage became the organizing specialist Japanese Marie Kondo. Her show was called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. It's amazing it went viral because it literally was just tidying up, wasn't it? it was, there wasn't much more to it. It was just tidying up. And if you might be familiar with it, but her, her method was built around, you know, going through the house in every single different category of things, putting them all, all together. And then one thing at a time, you kind of pick it up and you think, does it spark joy? And if it sparks joy, you, you keep it. And if it doesn't spark joy, 
get rid of it. Just, just, just throw it out. Well, I reckon we need a bit more Marie Kondo for the rest of our lives because our Christian call, of course, isn't to chuck things out. Our Christian call isn't, isn't to go through our lives and think, man, that's hard. I'm going to get rid of it. No, we're Christians who have a, a realistic, a, 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 we know how the world began. We know what happened in the Garden of Eden. We therefore have right expectations that, hey, life's going to be difficult. Work's going to be hard. Relationships are going to be tense. And so we don't go around chugging things out of our lives. And yet, I think we could perhaps add more things into our lives that spark joy. And so maybe you should think about a few things in your life that for you spark joy. What are those spiritually legitimate things in your life that you can actually make a habit of enjoying in God? You might be a a sun, sand and surf kind of person. Maybe you should get to the beach more often. You might be a grab a book and a cup of tea by the fire kind of person. Whatever it is, receive everything with thanksgiving. We should practice delighting in God's good gifts so that through them we can delight in God himself. Finally, the complementarity of denial and delight means that just as we heard a couple of weeks ago in our our examination week, we need to stay self-aware. What's going on in our hearts as we enjoy these things? We need to think about what we're doing as we delight in these things. And so you might want to ask yourself a few questions as you go about enjoying creation, enjoying God's good gifts. Our hearts are idol factories, constantly trying to make things and, and take from things more than what they are purposeful, more than what they were made for. And so maybe you want to ask yourself these things. Am I, am I doing this? Am I enjoying this to, to avoid what I really should be doing? Could I live without this? Should I do without this thing for a while? Because your heart's getting too attached to it. Is this thing leading me to thankfulness in God? Or is it leading me to forgetfulness about God? Is this enjoyment starting to unhelpfully control me? Am I going to this thing for the comfort from which I should be going to the great comforter? You should ask these things of yourself. Stay self-aware as we operate in this world, knowing what our hearts are like in the world that God created. As we land the plane, let's talk about another moment where these two things intersect. Denial and delight. Taking up our cross, receiving with thanksgiving. Let's talk about take and eat. Notice in our second reading that Paul specifically said that these things are to be received with thanksgiving by those who know and believe the truth. Because they're made holy through word, through the word of God and prayer. That means that he's telling us that Christians of all people should receive things with thanksgiving, should enjoy things all the more because we operate in God's strength and because we have someone to thank. He is the vine. You are the branch. We're actually connected to the one who made these good things. And so we should be enjoying them in him. And as Christians, we we know that we walk in this world marred by sin. 
And yet we know that this world marred by sin has been touched by a great saviour. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, we see these two things come together. Because as Jesus is there with his disciples, as Jesus is there just, just mere moments before he himself is going to experience that brokenness of the world, he's going to experience the, the, the marring of the human heart. Because Judas, whom he's, he's, he's given years of his life to, is going to sell him. Peter, who's been like his right-hand man this whole time, is going to deny him. In fact, all of his disciples, whom he's called up personally, spoke into their life, been with, with them for years, they're going to run away from him. He's going to be betrayed. And yet Jesus, knowing that, is there in that moment celebrating with them the Passover, sharing a feast together. Now, after our service, we're going to, we're going to share a feast as well because we want, we want to feel the delight of community and of morning tea to our taste buds. But Jesus here celebrating this meal on the night that he was betrayed, he, he hinted that, that this meal actually wasn't about this meal. This meal was about a, a further celebration to come. He said, hey, I've longed to eat this with you because I'm not going to eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so he reminds us that actually the, the joy that he's taking us to, the life that is to come, that if we take up our cross and follow him, we're going to enter into a marriage feast with him. But to get to that celebration, to get to that greatest delight, first he must suffer. Denied by all those around him. The only way to get to that marriage feast, to enter into that eternal joy, those pleasures forevermore at God's right hand was for Jesus to be handed over, stripped, whipped, and then crucified as our payment for sin. And so on that night, Jesus tells him, enjoy this, gentlemen. My body, my blood, for the forgiveness of your sin. And so Jesus has denied his own life to the point of death so that you and I can delight in him and with him for all eternity. And that's why as Christians, we gather together and we sing. And we're going to do that in a moment. We're going to sing as a foretaste of the future. We're for all eternity. We're going to be in this worshipful, pleasurable moment of bliss and then we're going to partake as we sing we're going to partake in this meal as a foretaste of the feast that we're going to have with Jesus in the future that's why this communion meal sometimes called the Eucharist that literally means thanksgiving we're going to receive it with thanksgiving and yet we received it we receive it tinged with solemnity because it points us to the cross of Jesus, the blood shed, the body given. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you know, you can know this God for yourself. You can know this Savior who has come into our broken world so that he might draw us out of it into his own joy. You can know this for you. Maybe you're here and you're here because you're searching for true life. What's this all about? You want that, that, that level up from the dissatisfaction and the meaninglessness of our current existence. This is what Jesus is offering us. Take up your cross and follow me. Don't keep your own soul and lose your life, but give it to him and find it. 
we're going to take communion together. And maybe for some of us, we might take it for the first time because this is the moment that we commit ourselves to Jesus. Communion is a, a family meal. And so if you are trusting in Jesus, you are welcome to partake. And so as the volunteers give you the, the, the plates, please take of the bread and the drink and hold on to those, please. And I'm going to be back up here so that we might take it together as one body. But if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, please do just let the, the elements pass you by. I want to use this time to observe what, what are we as Christians doing? What goes on as we think about these things? For now, we're going to sing so I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to pray and then we're going to re receive and hold on to the elements. Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you go before us. Jesus has gone into death in our place. We thank you that through death, Jesus has gone now to the Father's right hand, to joy, to paradise. And there he prepares a place for us. Lord, forgive us for minimizing your vision that you have for our lives. You invite us into life, into joy, into delight. And yet we are deceived and tricked into thinking that you're trying to box us in. Help us deny the flesh that robs us. Help us deny the sin that kills us. Help us take up our cross that we might be turned outward from ourselves and toward you so that in you we might find true life we might find delight in you and so Lord by your spirit would you give us a vision for our lives and our walk with you that inspires us and fueled by you you might help us walk in newness of life what we need to deny please make it clear to us what we need to delight in Lord, please make it clear to us. And in all things, may Jesus be big. May Jesus be our priority. May Jesus be our passion. May Jesus be our prize. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.